Can't Wait for Christmas is a proud member of the Christmas Podcast Network. Check out all the shows on the network at christmaspodcastnetwork.com. Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. It's June 25th, 2020, and that means there's just six months left until Christmas. Today on the show, we'll talk about the classic Christmas short story, The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry. We'll also tell you how to get your hands on some eggnog in the off-season. We'll count down the top five Santa Clauses in the movies. And we've got Act 2 of our made-for-podcast Christmas movie, A Bomb for Christmas. Okay, let's start the show. Welcome back to the Christmas Cave, Yule Believers. I'm Tim Babb, here to celebrate with you once again. And we're celebrating especially today because it's Leon Day! Which means we must play our unofficial Leon Day carol! Yes, we are officially halfway to Christmas. Six months down, only six months to go. Feels like we should be way closer to Christmas, though. In fact, this year has been crawling by so slow, I feel like we should have had five Christmases since last December. And while there hasn't been five Christmases in the last six months, there have been five Christmases since the very first episode of this show. Yes, next month will be our fifth anniversary. Can you believe this show has been going on for half a decade? I feel like I just started it. So, for the fifth anniversary episode, I wanted to do something different. Every July, I usually have you folks write in and we do an all-listener request episode. But for the fifth anniversary, I want to kick it up a notch. I'd like to invite you to be on the show with me. On July 18th at 7 p.m. Disneyland time, I'm going to open a virtual door to the Christmas cave and all are welcome. You just need to go to the website, zencaster.com slash timbab slash cwfc5. <laughs> Don't worry if you can't remember that gigantic URL. I will put it in the link to the show notes and we'll post it on social media closer to the day. Now, there are a few rules, though. You have to be on a desktop or a laptop computer. The site doesn't work with a phone or a tablet. Sorry. You need to be using either Firefox or Chrome as your browser. Apparently, the technology doesn't work with the other browsers. And you need to have a microphone and a set of headphones, because we need the microphone to hear you, and you need the headphones to hear us. But also, we don't want to hear you hearing us on your microphone, and that's why you need a nice set of headphones that keeps all that nice sound to yourself. Depending on how many folks show up, I think it'll be fun to do a round of five golden questions and maybe try to sing a Christmas carol together. I don't know how it will work. It could be a train wreck or it could be amazing. Either way, we're going to have some fun. So please, join me on Saturday, July 18th at 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Now, I'm sorry, I know that time can't possibly work for everyone, but if you can make it, I look forward to it. I can't wait to talk to you and actually hear you talk back. But if you're like me, you can't wait for July. You need some of that Christmas goodness right this very minute. In fact, I assume that's why you downloaded this. Or, to put it another way, we need a little Christmas now. We need a little Christmas now. This Christmas Now tip comes from a message we got on Facebook from listener Chris, who writes... 
I know you don't like the stuff. I happen to love it. But this is a good tip for year-round Christmas. You can get eggnog on Amazon year-round. It's a bit on the expensive side, but if someone wants a little Christmas flavor in the middle of summer or something, it's probably worth the 12 bucks. Thanks, Chris. While it's true, I'm not an eggnog fan. I'm certainly up for boosting the signal of Christmas things that others like. So apparently, Borden brand eggnog is available all year. But full disclosure, Chris sent me this message back in January. But I checked, and it's still showing as available. And I would have used this tip sooner, but when the shelter-in-place started and online shopping sites started to get inundated, I thought we should hold off on this tip for a while. But I think things are not as bad as they were in the last few months, so maybe it's okay to add a little eggnog to the list. Have any of you ever ordered this? Borden claims to have the only shelf-stable eggnog offered all year long. So does it taste the same as the seasonal stuff? If you've tried it, let us know. Drop a comment at facebook.com slash can't wait for Christmas pod. And now it's time for our countdown feature, Five Golden Things. Santa Claus. He's pretty much Christmas's mascot, so naturally, he's going to appear in a lot of Christmas movies. So I thought it might be fun to rank my five favorite depictions of the jolly old elf in the movies. To be clear, these are all movies, so no TV specials on this list. And also, they have to be Santa. See, I've seen other lists like this online where they include folks like Billy Bob Thornton and Bad Santa or Dan Aykroyd in Training Places. No, 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 no. You can't just be a regular guy who puts on the suit. You gotta be Santa. Fake Santas can be another list for another day. This is genuine Santa territory only. Okay, let's start things off with... Number five. Tom Hanks in Polar Express. This bell is a wonderful symbol of the spirit of Christmas, as am I. <laughs> just remember, the true spirit of Christmas lies in your heart. This one is totally because of casting. Polar Express is enjoyable, but not one of my must-see Christmas movies. But Tom Hanks is a perfect real-life human to be Santa Claus. Maybe not in appearance, but certainly in personality. So animation is the perfect venue for Hanks to take on the role. And even though his Santa Claus is not in the movie a ton, he gives the exact warm, charming performance you'd expect from Tom Hanks. The Uncanny Valley is the only thing knocking this Santa all the way back to number five on my list. Number four. Ed Asner in Elf. I'm not an elf, Santa. I... I can't do anything right. Buddy, you're more of an elf than anyone I ever met. And the only one who I would want working on my sleigh tonight. Really? Really? Will you fix it for me, buddy? I'll try. Elf is just a charming movie. And while most of that is due to Will Ferrell's enthusiastic performance as Buddy the Elf... Not to be underestimated is Ed Asner's performance as Santa. After years of watching him as Mary Tyler Moore's grumpy boss, Lou Grant, he wouldn't have been my instinctive pick for the big man, but he's great as a weary Santa that needs that extra boost of Christmas spirit from the people to save Christmas. Number three. Tim Allen in The Santa Claus. Come on, listen, there's a, there's a lot of kids out there, okay? Millions of kids. And they, they're all, they all believe in me. They're counting on me, Charlie, and I... I'm not going to let him down. This movie came out when I was a huge fan of the show Home Improvement, so I was really excited to see Tim Allen in The Santa Claus. I expected him to be funny as the person who's trying not to become Santa. I didn't expect him to hit the mark so well once he made the full transition to the big guy. Number two. Kurt Russell in The Christmas Chronicles. Christmas spirit is more powerful than you could ever imagine. People need Christmas to remind themselves of how good they can be. Without it, well, Christmas simply must endure. 
This is the most recent Santa on this list, but I really enjoyed this Netflix original movie. It's quite a different take on Santa, sort of a retired rock star Santa. It's totally different from what we've seen before, but it really works. Kurt Russell manages to strike a good balance between paternalistic and rebellious. Honorable mentions! Edward Ivory in The Nightmare Before Christmas. The next time you get the urge to take over someone else's holiday, I'd listen to her. She's the only one who makes any sense around this insane asylum. Skeletons. I hope there's still time. To fix Christmas? Of course there is. I'm Santa Claus. This is not the go-to movie people think of when you think of Santas in movies, but I've always liked Santa in this movie. He gets kidnapped and taken into this crazy world and has most of his scenes opposite Oogie Boogie, but he manages to hold his own and even keep his Santa dignity about him. Number one. Edmund Gwen, Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, Christmas isn't just a day. It's a frame of mind. And that's what's been changing. That's why I'm glad I'm here. Maybe I can do something about it. And I'm glad I met you and your daughter. You two are a test case for me. We are? Yes, you're sort of the whole thing in miniature. If I can win you over, there's still hope. For me, this is the Santa gold standard. Gwen plays him perfectly. Kind, curious, but not without a bit of hardness to him. He's not afraid to bop you on the head with his cane if you get out of line. But whenever I picture the concept of Santa Claus outside of a specific performance, I imagine he's just like Edmund Gwen. And that's my list. Did I leave any out? Let me know. What's your favorite motion picture Santa Claus? Send me an email at christmas at tancast.com. Speaking of emails, it's time to open up Santa Bab's mailbag. Santa Bab, he is gonna read some emails from you. Or tweets. Or Facebook messages to Santa Bab, he is opening up his mailbag tonight. This letter is from Aaron, who had a great idea to bring a little Christmas in this time of shelter in place. Aaron writes, Hiya, just wanted to drop a quick line to tell you about my birthmas celebration. Since my husband and I, and our two kitties, will be spending my birthday in quarantine, I wanted to find a way to bring joy to it. Then it came to me. Eureka! What's more joyful than Christmas? We took out our Christmas decorations, I got a beautiful wooden advent calendar for counting down to the day, and we'll have a big holiday dinner on Birthmas Eve. Then spend Birthmas Day having a Christmas dance party on our back patio and movies on a projector while floating in the pool with a glass of boozy eggnog. I'm now psyched beyond belief and not even a little bummed that we're not going out to celebrate. I never would have come up with this idea if not for your podcast and Christmas past. Since finding your podcast last summer, I've listened to every single episode and always look forward to the next. Your positivity and enthusiasm inspire me to stay jolly all year round, and I'm so grateful. Thanks so much for being you and for sharing your joy with us. Merry Birthmas, everyone. Aaron. Oh, Aaron. That was super nice of you. Thank you. And that sounds pretty awesome. My oldest son and I both had birthdays towards the beginning of Shelter in Place, and we didn't do anything like that. We'll have to make up for it. Also, Merry Birthmas, Aaron. I hope it was a happy one. Unless it hasn't happened yet by the time you're listening to this episode, in which case I hope it is a happy one. Either way, I hope it's happy. Okay. Oh, and hot off the presses, we just got a letter from Zoe who writes, Hi, Tim. Hope you and your family are doing well during these hard times. Today, my family and I went to the fabric store near us to find fabric for masks. Keep the doctor's mask for the professionals. And guess what? The store had a whole two sections of just Christmas fabric. I obviously hooked myself up with some Grinch fabric. There was Charlie Brown and Snoopy, Snowman, an advent calendar, and many, many more. So exciting to see stores have more Christmas stuff in already. Leon Day, maybe? Christmas in July? Who knows? But I love it! That part was in all caps. Also, when are you going to talk about the nightmare before Christmas? That was also in all caps. (laughs) This movie is most definitely a Christmas movie and deserves more credit. 
Thanks, Zoe. And technically, I just talked about The Nightmare Before Christmas in the last segment, but I know what you mean. It needs a full-fledged segment. And one day, I definitely will do that, because that is a thing that needs to be looked into. And I have to say, that fabric and stuff, that's a pretty cool find. I'm not sure if the fabric stores are even open in my area yet, so I'll have to keep my eyes peeled, I guess. But either way, thank you for writing in. And now let's move to a very specific part of the mailbag in a segment we call Feedback from Our Last Show. Messages from listeners everywhere. Feedback on our last show. Feedback on our last show. So last time I talked about inspirational Christmas quotes, and my number one quote was from Harlan Miller. And I had said I couldn't find out exactly who he was. Thankfully, Becky came to the rescue with this comment. Harlan Miller was a columnist for Better Homes and Gardens magazine. He wrote, I wish we could put Christmas spirit in jars in the December 1946 issue. You can read old Better Homes and Garden archives on their website. Well, thank you, Becky. We should invite you to be part of our research team, mostly because we don't have a research team and it shows. And now a word from one of the other podcasts in the Christmas Podcast Network. You love Christmas, sure. But sometimes the same old traditions are too... Traditional. Sometimes you want to see Santa stuff a kid in his sack. Sometimes you want Christmas dinner to come alive and threaten you with knives and forks. Sometimes you just need Christmas to get a bit weird. Weird Christmas has you covered. Check out podcasts filled with annoying Christmas music, proof that Saint Nick came from magic mushrooms, and talk about Christmas specials so disturbing you won't sleep for days. Now available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Weirdchristmas.com. Oh, oh, holy Mary, that's different. For our feature segment today, we'll be looking at a classic Christmas short story, The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry. Tomorrow would be Christmas Day, and she had only $1.87 to buy her husband Jim a gift. She had been saving every penny she could for months with this result. The story of this story goes all the way back to early December 1905. William Sidney Porter, better known by his pen name of O. Henry, had recently been fired by the New York Sunday World. So he was enjoying a drink at his local tavern, Healy's Cafe. What he didn't know was that his contract with the Sunday World lasted till the end of December. So the Sunday World sent in an errand boy to get O. Henry's story for the December 10th issue. But O. Henry didn't even know he was supposed to be writing a story, so he hadn't a word written down yet. So he spent the next two hours pounding out the story. And that's how the story came to be. A guy who was fired, getting sloshed at a bar, dashing down a story just to get his former boss's errand boy to leave him alone so he could go back to drinking. Fun fact, Healy's Cafe is still around, although it's changed its name to Pete's Tavern a while back. And there's a framed sign on one of the booths that says, In this booth, O. Henry wrote The Gift of the Magi in 1905. Speaking of the story, I know we all read it in junior high, but let's go through the plot anyway. The story starts on Christmas Eve in the apartment of Della. She's worried because she hasn't gotten her husband Jim a Christmas present yet. Unfortunately, she only has a dollar and 87 cents, and she doesn't feel that's enough to get him a worthwhile present. Even though she doesn't have money, what she does have is long, luxurious hair. And let me say, for a short story, they devote a good amount of time to describing that hair. Had the Queen of Sheba lived in their building... Della would have let her hair hang out the window to dry, just to reduce the value of the queen's jewels. So now Della's beautiful hair fell about her, shining like a brown waterfall. It reached below her knees and made itself almost like a covering for her. 
So Della has an idea. There's a place in the neighborhood that buys hair. So she sells her hair for $20. Now she has nearly 22 bucks to buy a present. So she runs around the city looking for the right gift. And she discovers the perfect one, a silver watch chain. You see, Jim isn't a rich man by any means, but he does have an amazing gold watch. It was his father's watch and his father's father's watch before that. So a fancy watch chain is the perfect gift for Jim. So she buys the chain and takes it home and is super excited to give it to him. But then she worries that Jim won't find her attractive anymore without her hair. And when Jim comes home, it seems her fears are confirmed when she sees the look on his face. But Jim quickly assures her that there's nothing she could do to her hair that would make him love her any less. But then he reveals the present he got her for Christmas, a set of super fancy hair combs. And then the final part of the twist kicks in when Della shows Jim the watch chain. Jim fell on the couch and put his hands under the back of his head and smiled. Dell said he, let us put our Christmas gifts away and keep them a while. They are too nice to use just right now. I sold my gold watch to get the money to buy the set of combs for your hair. And now, why not put the meat on? Apparently, O. Henry was the M. Night Shyamalan of his day. He loved a good twist ending, and Gift of the Magi has a doozy. I mean, we've all known the story for so long you don't really think about it, but imagine going into that story not knowing how it was going to end. That is a clever way to take a sentimental Christmas story and make it unpredictable. And the story was a huge hit if that's a phrase you can use to describe short stories. People loved it in the New York Sunday world, and it was republished the next year in O'Henry's compilation of short stories, The Four Million. It's actually been adapted into movies, radio shows, and even a musical. But what can I give him? What can I offer? What can I give him? What can these pennies buy? That basic plot has showed up in a lot of places, like in Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas, when Minnie sells her watch to buy Mickey a box for his harmonica, and Mickey sells his harmonica to get Minnie a chain for her watch. And this plot has shown up in the Rugrats, the Honeymovers, even Mystery Science Theater 3000. But I think most notably, the plot showed up in the 1978 special Christmas Eve on Sesame Street, where Ernie sells his world-famous rubber ducky to get Bert a box for his paperclip collection. But then Bert sells his paperclip collection to get Ernie a soap dish for his rubber ducky. Well, Mr. Hooper, I, I don't have any money, but uh, suppose I gave you rubber ducky here for that cigar box. Would you trade? Ernie, your rubber ducky? Are you sure? Well, uh, I, I just got to have that cigar box, Mr. Hooper. Well, uh, it's not very important to you. Here you are. Oh, well, thank you, Mr. Hooper, and, well, here's <clears throat> here's Rubber Ducky. Goodbye, Mr. Hooper, and goodbye, Rubber Ducky. But the reason this story has endured for more than a century is because of its moral, which I must confess I did not get as a kid, which is why, for the final bit of this analysis, we're going to fire up the old Christmas time machine, bring young Tim to the future, and dust off an old segment, Christmas Past versus Christmas Future. <laughs> It's time for Christmas Past versus Christmas Future! Welcome to the future, young Tim. Great to be here. What year is it? It's 2020. Oh, do you have flying cars yet? 
No, but what we do have are these tiny little computers that we keep in our pockets that we can use to order food from pretty much any restaurant and have it delivered to our door. And then we can use the same boxes to take pictures of that food, which we can then post to social media so that everyone in the world can see our food. Look, if you don't want to tell me about the future, just don't tell me about it. You don't have to make up crazy nonsense. Well, we're not here to talk about your future. We are here to talk about the gift of the Magi. Does it have a good moral? No. Yes. No. Yes! Look, young Tim, this story is an illustration of the thing we hear every Christmas. It's better to give than to receive. That's what O. Henry is showing us through this loving couple. No, this story is about a couple who got saddled with useless Christmas presents. That's all you get from this story? Yeah. I mean, they each sell their most prized possession just to get each other a gift that they don't really need and in the end can't even use. It's a perfect allegory for the unfettered consumerism of Christmas. People going into debt just to buy people junk they can't afford and don't need. Did I really use phrases like unfettered consumerism when I was your age? No wonder I had so few friends. And really, it's the husband who got it the worst. How do you figure that? Because the wife's hair will grow back. In a few months, she can at least use the combs. Dude's watch is not growing back. It's gone. The best he can hope for is to take that chain to the pawn shop and hopefully get his watch back. He wouldn't pawn the treasured gift his wife gave him. What treasured gift? It's literally a last-minute gift she found a few hours ago while scrambling around the shops on Christmas Eve like a dad in an 80s sitcom. Or as they call them where I'm from, a sitcom. Meanwhile, that watch had been in his family for three generations. That's your treasured gift. But it's just a thing. That's the whole point of this story. It's not the things that are important. It's the love behind them. Look at the way O. Henry phrases the reason that Della sells her hair. She needed to buy something just a little bit near to being worthy of the honor of being owned by Jim. Some nice language. The point is the gift has to be worthy of him. It's not about just buying him something to buy him something. It's about wanting to show the man she loved how much she loved him. And she was willing to sacrifice her own prized possession to make sure she got him something good enough. And he was willing to do the same. The gift is the sacrifice. They don't need the gifts. All they need is the love that they have for each other. That's the gift of the Magi. I mean, that's great and all, but if my future wife is listening, a homemade card is fine. You hear that, future wife? A card is fine. Did you call me? Is it time for the thing? Oh, sorry. No, not yet. I'm just wrapping up the Gift of the Magi segment. Wait, that's my future wife? I know, right? High five! I don't know what's going on here, but I don't want any part of it. Well, I guess we should send young Tim back home and wrap this up. And we'll leave it up to you to decide. Is this a cautionary tale about overspending at Christmas or a heartwarming story of sacrifice for love? But in a last word to the wise of these days, let it be said that of all who give gifts, these two were the wisest. Everywhere they are wisest. They are the Magi. Special thanks to The Voice of America for their reading of The Gift of the Magi that we used throughout this episode. Also, our good friend Brian Earle did a reading of this story on Christmas Past. I put links to both versions in the show notes so you can have a listen. Or, if you'd like to read Gift of the Magi for yourself, check out your local library. Boop And now it's time to check on the results of our musical battle, Who Sang It Best? Last time, we had Ray Charles and Whitney Houston duking it out to decide who sang the better version of Nat King Cole's Christmas song, a.k.a. Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. And let me tell you, if this was a real fight, the ref would have stopped it. This is perhaps the most one-sided matchup we've ever had. With 97% of the vote, Ray Charles is the winner. We'll be back again soon with another song, another matchup, and another Who Sang It Best. 
And now we've come to the moment I know a lot of you have been waiting for. The next installment of our made-for-podcast Christmas movie, A Bomb for Christmas. But before I roll it, I felt I needed to address the elephant in the room. I'm recording this podcast in late June 2020, and the protagonist of this story is a police detective from Seattle, Washington. As I record this, there are protests against police brutality and systemic racism happening all over America and the world, but very notably in Seattle, Washington. So because of the timing, you might be led to believe that this story is some sort of rebuke or dismissal of the protesters. I want to make it clear, that is not the case. I believe that black lives matter. And maybe that should go without saying, but I feel it's worth saying anyway. But this story was hatched in my goofy little brain months and months ago. Once I decided to do a parody of Die Hard, I was pretty much locked into a cop protagonist. So this isn't a reactionary story about current events. It's a super topical parody of a 32-year-old action movie. So yeah, take that, 1988. Okay, apologies if that was awkward, but I felt it was necessary. But with that out of the way, we can return to the quaint little town of Port Caldwell for Act 2 of A Bomb for Christmas. Interior, Holly's bedroom, morning. Holly gets out of bed and looks out the window. We see the charming small town of Port Caldwell all decked out for Christmas, including street signs that say Christmas Eve Festival with special guests for the tree lighting. Holly grabs her phone and dials. Hello? Tracy, it's Holly. What time is it? No idea. Look, I won't be coming in for a few days. (laughs) Yeah, the captain told us you were taking a few days off for Christmas. I bet he didn't mention it was because he made me. He didn't have to. We knew you'd never do it voluntarily. What? Holly, you're a great partner, but you never take time for yourself. Speaking of which, I need your help, partner. (laughs) Of course. What's up? I need you to get me the translation of the note we found at Tirapelli's house last night. What? Even if you weren't on vacation, we turned the investigation over to the FBI. We worked too long on this to just hand it over. Holly, how am I supposed to get access? It's not our case anymore. You're a smart gal. I know you'll find a way. (sighs) Okay, but you owe me one. I'll just subtract it from one of the many you owe me. Touché. Holly hangs up just as Bobby enters. Well, look who's up. Morning. Well, someone has a case of the Bahumbugs. No. Someone had their case ripped out of her hand and is now on a forced vacation. Well, fortunately, the cure is the same for both. Cure, huh? Coffee and a Christmas cookie down at Betty's. I mean, I don't know about a cure, but I never say no to Betty's coffee. Meet you downstairs. Interior, Betty's coffee shop, day. Holly and Bobby enter and Betty looks up from behind the counter. Betty is a super cute, sweet, older, but not old, lady. The kind of lady who easily could have played a mom in a 90s sitcom. Holly? Good to see you. It's been too long. Hey, Betty. The place looks great. Oh, thank you. Have to look our best with all the folks coming in for the festival tomorrow. Speaking of which, Bobby, how many sign-ups do we have for the gingerbread house-making contest tomorrow? Quite a few. I hope you're prepared to be a fair judge. Oh, I'm tough but fair. I've made my share of gingerbread houses in my day. I know what makes a truly great one. That's good. We're all counting on you. And I won't let you down. Now, what can I get you? A couple of eggnog lattes and some Christmas cookies? Oh, you don't have to go through all that. Just a coffee with a little cream is fine. Oh, come now, Holly. You've been drinking office coffee too long. Here, 
Try our eggnog latte, and if you don't love it, I'll get you your boring old coffee. Betty hands cups to Holly and Bobby that were somehow ready within two seconds of being mentioned. Holly reluctantly takes a sip. Then her eyes brighten. Wow. If there's one thing I know, it's Christmas coffee. I shall never doubt you again, Betty. A tiny bell rings as someone enters the coffee shop. It's George, an older but still crazy handsome man with salt and pepper hair and a corduroy jacket. He sees Bobby and rushes over. There he is. Just the man I was looking for. Hey, George. I've got to hand it to you, Bobby. You really pulled off a Christmas miracle. I don't know about all that. You bought our hometown hero home for Christmas. It's awfully sweet of you, George, but I hardly think I'm the hometown hero. No. Hi, Holly. Haven't seen you in a while. Did crime finally take a holiday? (laughs) Uh, No, crime didn't, but I did. Why don't we scoot on over so you can get your order in? Ah, Thank you. Day hasn't really started until I've had my eggnog latte. Was that as awkward as it felt? Only to you and me, and anyone within earshot of this conversation. Oh, good. I was worried for a second there. George steps over to them, latte in hand. I still don't know how you pulled it off. All will be revealed at the tree lighting. Wait, so what's going on? Who is this hometown hero? He didn't tell you. Bobby convinced Joe McCringleberry to come back to do our tree lighting. Why does that name sound familiar? Sound familiar? (laughs) He's only the best kicker in pro football. Right! He plays for Seattle. He made that big play last year. A 61-yard field goal that got them into the playoffs. That's the one. And tomorrow, he's coming back home. Back home? Yes. He was born and raised right here. Graduated from Port Caldwell High School. This town's not big enough for me not to remember this guy. I think you were at the academy by the time he was leading our team to the state championships. Then he got snapped up by some Big Ten college and hasn't been back to Port Caldwell since. This is going to be huge. However did you convince him to come back? Well, he and I are getting into a little business venture. Wait, what? Like I said, all will be revealed at the tree lighting. Betty walks by to clear some dishes off the table that they're standing next to. George, you're the head of the Christmas festival. Can you tell me why there's so much more security this year? Well, I I can't get into specifics, but we have a special guest for the tree lighting this year. Special guest? What about the children? What about the children? It's a tradition that every year the choir from Rhododendron Elementary School sings as we light the tree. Don't worry, Betty. The kids are still going to sing. Our special guest will simply be the one who introduces them, lights the tree, and stays to take the photos of the crowd afterward. Well, they better not upstage those kids. It's my favorite part of the whole day. And now, with all those security checkpoints, I worry this year's festival may be straying too far from our beloved tradition. It's going to be the same festival we all grown up with, only even more fun. Look... Here comes my head of security now. Alana enters. She's a tall, muscular woman with a look that says, I mean business. She sees the group and walks over. Bobby, George, I'm glad I found you both. Betty, Holly, this is Alana. Uh, She's head of security for the festival this year. Nice to meet you. Likewise. And I'm sure you're amazing at what you do. But we've never had security at the festival before. Sure we have, Betty. In fact, I worked festival security all through high school. We just didn't have much of a budget for it back in the day. 
Nice to see it's been kicked up a notch. Holly, as in Bobby's wife, the police detective from Seattle? The one and only. Bobby talks a lot about you, but we've never seen you. I was beginning to think you were only a legend. I don't mind being referred to as a legend. It's almost as good a title as hometown hero. Now why would you bring that up again? Sometimes you just gotta steer into it. So, Bobby, George, I came to tell you, the star for the tree arrived. Finally! Wait! Won't we use the star we've been using all these years? Now we've got a new one that actually lights up and has all these amazing lighting effects. It was uh, Bobby's idea, actually. I just thought it would be good to add a lighted star to the tree. Alana actually found this one for us. I just happen to know a place just a quick ferry ride away that makes cool things like this. But what about the old star? Don't tell me you just threw it in the trash. No, of course not. That thing is gorgeous. Such exquisite detail for a treetopper that size. We put it in a plexiglass case in the Christmas marketplace. Now it's at ground level and everyone can see it up close. You might even get more out of it than when it was way up on top of the tree. Well, that does sound lovely. I'll have to go see that for myself. Betsy takes her tray of empty cups and plates and goes to the back. See, this is why I'm so glad you're helping us this year. You're a natural at this. Well, I figure the sports bar is by the fairgrounds where all the action is anyway. You might as well officially be part of the festival. Well, thank you for making my job so easy this year. Speaking of jobs... We've got to get that star on top of the tree. We've got most of our people putting up new banners. Should we wait until they're done with that or call some of them back now? Actually, the guys on my team could handle it. Really? That's not exactly in the security details job description. And you guys already helped so much with setting up the lights for the tree. They don't mind. It's not like we have a lot to do until you-know-who arrives. George's phone rings. He turns away to answer it. Well, that would be a great help. Thanks. Speaking of help, the DJ can't find where he's supposed to set up for the Ugly Sweater fashion show. Just sent him an email yesterday. Well, he's over at the stage now, and he wants to know where to set up. Ugh. Great. I head over there now. Holly, you want to come? Actually, all this talk of security has me feeling a little nostalgic. Alana, mind if I check out your setup? Not at all. I'd love any tips from someone who used to work this festival, not to mention such a highly decorated detective. Well, you may be disappointed. Not a lot of crime in Port Caldwell. I think someone cut the line to sit on Santa's lap one year. That was about it. Okay, they're talking shop. Let's get out of here, George. I'll meet you after the DJ is squared away. Sounds good. They exit the coffee shop. Exterior, Port Caldwell Square, day. George and Bobby walk off in one direction, while we stay with Holly and Alana walking off in another. So, did you grow up here? Born and raised. But you're a detective in Seattle. That's got to be a heck of a commute all the way to the 14th precinct. Yeah, it can be. Wait, how'd you know my precinct? What can I say? Bobby talks about you a lot. I think he's a big fan of yours. Aw, that works out. I'm a fan of his as well. But surely you guys hardly see each other with how far your job is and how much you work. Why not just be a cop here in Port Caldwell? Actually, I know the team here in Port Caldwell and they're great. Chief Beebe even wrote me a recommendation for the 14th precinct. But being a small-town cop was never what I was cut out for. Well, someone's got to look out for the little guy. Yeah, and there's little guys in every city. Sometimes in a big city, they need someone looking out for them even more. So I guess this little operation seems pretty quaint to you. Actually, I'm kind of surprised. All these security booths all over the festival. I mean, I get that McCringleberry is a celebrity, but this seems like a bit much. Back in my day, we just had a sad little pop-up tent and a table. Well, most people love McCringleberry, especially around here. 
But fans of San Francisco, not so much. What do they have against him? That was the team they were playing when he made that 61-yard field goal. And some people take their sports way too seriously. You're kidding me. Threats? Over one kick? You wouldn't believe how many. Nothing too serious has come of it, but you can't be too careful. But surely a couple bodyguards would do the trick. You know these celebrity types. They don't quite live in reality. He wants us to have people all through the festival, scanning the crowd for possible threats. It's a lot of manpower. Probably not how your team was hoping they would spend Christmas Eve. Probably not. But if a big-shot celebrity is going to make you work on Christmas Eve, there are worse places in the Port Caldwell Christmas Festival. Alana's phone rings. Sorry, duty calls. By all means. Alana walks away while Holly looks around the festival grounds. Hello? Yeah, we're going to go ahead and put the star on now. Have Victor and Pavel meet me at the tree. Holly stands still, gazing at a group of people adjusting a sign that says Christmas Eve Festival with special guests for the tree lighting. Holly pulls out her phone, dials, and puts it to her ear. Tracy? It's Holly again. Can I have you do me another favor? Can you look for anyone of Russian descent that lost a lot of money betting on the Seattle-San Francisco playoff game last year? Interior, mystery location, day. We are in a tiny, dark room, and the camera pans down to some sort of device with wires and chemicals. Then, we see a digital timer that is slowly counting down. End Act 2. Cut to commercial. Music from A Bomb for Christmas was provided by Kevin McLeod and used under a Creative Commons license. Please see more details in the show notes of this episode. And there you have it! A lot more Hallmark and not so much Die Hard in that section of the story. What will happen next time? You'll have to tune in next month. Same can't wait for Christmas time. Same can't wait for Christmas channel. But I want to give a big thank you to our wonderful cast. Kristen as Tracy, Brendan as Bobby, Trish as Betty, Edward as George, Emily as Alana, and of course, my lovely wife, Danelle, as Holly. Extra shout out to Edward, who you may have noticed has an English accent. Well, he actually recorded his lines twice for me, the second time in an American accent, because we weren't sure if it made sense for the head of the Christmas festival in a small town in the Pacific Northwest to be from England. But the more I thought about it, the more I loved the idea. Like, the people in the town probably put him in charge years ago because he had the same accent as the people in A Christmas Carol, so he must know Christmas. Anyway, thank you, Edward, and thank you, Emily, Brendan, Trish, Kristen, and my lovely wife, and also thank you to the other actors and actresses who've sent in auditions to be on our movie. Don't worry, I haven't forgotten about you. Keep an eye on that email inbox. But that's our show for today. Thank you for joining me on this Christmas-tastic voyage. Remember, next month, you can join me for Realsies on the show, July 18th at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, a.k.a. Disneyland Time. The link is in the show notes, and I'll be posting it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So if you're not following us there, you should start. My mom will give you the details in a few seconds. Okay, stay safe out there, love one another, and until next time, you will believers... Keep laughing all the way. And that was Christmas 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2020. Oh. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, and email us about it at christmas at tancast.com, we'll send you a free Can't Wait for Christmas sticker. 
If you'd like to see the show notes or leave a comment on this or any other episodes, you can go to our official website, can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store where you can grab customizable t-shirts, ornaments, stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas-themed items all year long. We'd love to connect with you on social media. On Facebook and Instagram, we are Can't Wait for Christmas Pod. And on Twitter, we are at Christmas Pod. We Wish You a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band, and this amazing version of Jingle Bells on the accordion was performed by the wonderful and talented Christian Nowicki. All other music and sounds used in this episode are the properties of their individual copyright holders, and they are used for purposes of commentary and review. No infringement is intended. Okay, boys, did I forget anything? God bless us, everyone. Merry Christmas! End Act 2. Cut to commercial. Making the magic happen, ladies and gentlemen. Look out, Hallmark. We're coming for you. Hallmark's <laughs> 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 in great threat. Here's a little behind-the-scenes info. When I write these episodes, I actually write them on the notes thing on my iPhone. That way, when I'm going back and forth between, you know, tabs and stuff while I'm researching, I can copy and paste, you know, emails, copy and paste, stuff like that. Uh, and also, when I'm done with it, I select the whole thing and have Siri read it back to me. That way I can try and catch some of the typos or things that don't make sense or just see how this show flows without reading it, like actually hearing it being read back to me. Fun fact, though, when you select everything and hit read... If you're not careful, you'll accidentally delete the whole thing. So this show got written twice. <laughs> because apparently the technology doesn't work with other browsers. 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 I can't say browsers. Hello, tongue. I'm doing my own thing. I'm Tim's tongue. <laughs> This Christmas Now tip comes from a message I got on Facebook from Christmas... But he's great as a weary Santa that needs that extra booth of Christmas favorite... Libbits. My libbits have betrayed me. First my palgum, then my libbits. After years of watching him as the Mary Tyler Moore... Nope. I put a the in there. That's why. That must be the whole thing. That the is psychologically ruining the rest of the sentence. There. I've deleted it. And now watch this. Watch this. It's going to be the perfect take. And it's going to go right in the show. And I'm not going to have another outtake after this. Yep. Who wants to put a five on it? Nobody. That's a smart bet. After years of watching him as Mary Tyler Moore's grumpy boss, Lou Grant, he wouldn't have been my instinctive pick for the big man. But he's great as a weary Santa that needs that extra boost of Christmas spirit from the people to save Christmas. I would have lost that five because I'm going to read that again. The story starts on Christmas Eve in the apartment of Della. Della! Yeah, I'm hilarious. I don't know what's going on here, but I don't want any part of it. Yeah. Of course. Of course you don't want any part of it. Of course. Of course. Hey, James. Can you go get your blue phone and make it sound like it's ringing? Yes. All right, that works.
I'm out. <laughs> Thank you, James. <laughs>